I want to talk to you about choosing intimacy with God this morning. The word intimacy is probably of a bit of a sensitive word in our, um, our vocabulary today. The staff told me this week as they were like, maybe you don't want to use the word intimacy because that's got such a sexual connotation to it in our society today. But we couldn't come up with a better word. I couldn't come up with a better word that really communicated what I wanted to say. There, is, there are five levels of, of intimacy. And they really, the, the five levels I'm going to share with you really don't have anything to do with human sexuality. It could lead to that, but it doesn't really have anything to do with human sexuality at all. The first level of, of intimacy is when you know you found somebody that's safe to communicate with. You know it's safe to talk to them. You know they're not going to betray your confidence. That's what we would call level one. Level two is where I feel safe to share an opinion or a belief with you. And because I know that if I share an opinion or a belief with you politically, spiritually, or anything like that, you're not going to blow up. There's a third level of intimacy, and that's called where I feel comfortable sharing my personal opinions and my personal beliefs with you. And when I share those with you, you're not really going to be shocked at what I say. And then there's a fourth level, and for men, this is probably where intimacy begins to get difficult. Ladies, I don't think this is a sexist statement when I say it, but I, I think it's just probably generally true. It's not true in every case or every situation, but generally true that it takes another, it, it, it's another hurdle that we as men have to cross to be able to share our feelings, to be able to share our, our experiences. If we begin to share those, we've really kind of opened up our heart. Last night, I was sitting with a couple that I just met, uh, along with some other folks that I knew uh, at the dinner after the wedding, and I asked the couple what kind of drew them to one another. And he told me, and you know, it was very, I laughed. He says, she's a great cook. He, she literally got to my heart through my stomach. And, and I, I laughed, but that's so many times said about us, but that really wasn't a sharing of a, of a feeling or a need in this life. And then this fifth level, this is where intimacy, you know, it's really began to develop. I have many friends, many friends, and I told the congregation Wednesday night, it kind of scares me at times because the Bible says a man with many friends will not come to a good end. But there are levels of friendship that can be tracked along these levels of intimacy as well. There are fewer friends that I am as intimate with as you climb this ladder of intimacy because this fifth one where I begin to share my needs and my emotions and my desires, that's really, that's getting personal, that's getting intimate because if you can be rejected for your opinions, if you can be rejected for sharing your personal opinions or it's going to cause a family rift, many of you at Thanksgiving dinner this week, you will not be able to talk about two things, religion and politics at your family table because those are things that will divide your family because honestly your family hasn't climbed that level of intimacy where people are able even to share their personal opinions and their personal beliefs without it causing a row in your family. And so in friendship, this, 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 this fifth level is where 
I began to share my needs. I began to share my emotions. I began to share my fears, my desires, and I know that you won't reject me because of that. And so when I talk about choosing intimacy with God, it's probably this fifth level and an amplified level and an intensified level that I'm talking about this morning. Because I share my opinions freely with God. It doesn't ever change his mind, but I share it anyway, okay? I, I share my personal opinions and beliefs. Sometimes when something has happened that I don't understand, it's perfectly acceptable when I read the Psalms that I just share with God exactly how I feel about what he's done or what's happened. It's a, it indicates my misunderstanding, just like my dad was a great dad. Somebody told me last night at the wedding, he says, Pastor, I'd love to hear you talk about your father. And when I do, I, I realize, looking back in the kind of relationship that I have with my dad, every decision my dad made was for the good of our family and for us. We didn't understand. Sometimes my sisters and I didn't understand, but we knew our dad loved us and cared for us and was willing to lay down his life for us. If there was ever a model dad, then my dad would have been it. And, and I say that without any hesitancy at all. And I'm not glorifying him now that he's dead and in heaven. I just, that's the foundation that I've been able to build upon and hopefully in some small measure pass on to our four children. I've been able to share with God my desires and at times to say, Lord, this is what I really want. But if this is not what's best for, for my family, if this is not what's best for Woodland, if this is not what's best for your community, even though this is my need, this is how I feel about it. God, I, I just, I know you want me to bring all of this to you in prayer and worship. And as much as I struggle with these few words that Jesus taught me to pray, I'm going to pray them now because I mean it even though I don't feel it. And you probably already guessed what I'm going to say. Not my will, but thy will be done. Those can be hard words to pray sometimes, can't they? They were so hard for Jesus that he sweat. His perspiration was like great drops of blood. I find comfort when we come together to worship. I find comfort in this church. I find comfort in your fellowship. I find comfort in everything we do. When we sing, just speak the name of Jesus. I like to lost it over there for just a few minutes today. You know, this church is made up of people from Pentecostal backgrounds, charismatic backgrounds, Roman Catholic backgrounds, Lutheran backgrounds, Episcopalian backgrounds. We are an equal opportunity denominational church. I mean, we've got them from all Methodists everywhere. We've got people, atheist background, other religion backgrounds that aren't even associated with Christianity. And we rejoice in that. And I find comfort in this congregation as we worship together. But the reason I find comfort here that I don't find in many of the other meetings that I attend or that I'm a part of, I believe in the mission of those meetings, but I don't find comfort in those meetings. I may have found some friends at a much lower level of intimacy than the, the ladder of needs that I've shared, of intimacy I've shared here with you this morning. But here, the reason I find comfort and joy and peace is because the Spirit of the Lord is here this morning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? God is here. 
So we find ourselves, some of you may be watching online, some of you may be here today, because I'm looking around, I don't know everybody that's here today, and some of you are watching, or maybe you're here, and you don't even know why or really how you're here, you just kind of found yourself coming to church, and I pray that you find comfort, and I pray that you find peace, and I pray that you find assurance, and I pray that you find acceptance, because the Lord is here and he loves you, and he gave himself for you. Christian Wyman is a poet. He's a published author. He's a professor at Yale University. I stumbled onto him accidentally in a, a magazine that I read or a journal that I read on arts called Image, and I would recommend that to you. It's just the Image Journal. And he talks about how he came to faith, and he was diagnosed in his 30s with a rare form of blood cancer, and just really shook his world. And he said when doctors couldn't give him any sort of, of, of length of expectancy of life or they didn't even know how to treat him, he said, my wife and I just found ourselves stumbling out the door on a Sunday morning looking for a church to go to. I occasionally ask people here at Woodland, how did you come to Woodland? Sometimes they'll tell me an invitation from a friend, sometimes a sign out there, sometimes they've stumbled across something I've written or I've met them. Sometimes they say, I don't know why, I just felt led like I was supposed to come. I wasn't even planning on coming to church today, and there's a new family that's coming to our church, and they said, I, we don't even know why. We passed this church for years and didn't even pay attention. We, we saw your sign, but recently I just felt like I had to come here. And she's found Jesus, and she's discovered Jesus, and she's been born again, and, 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 and God's doing something in her family. We rejoice in that, don't we? We thank God for what he's doing and changing people's lives. Well, this is what happened with, with Professor Wyman. He and his wife stumbled into a church, and it just so happened they stumbled into a vibrant, fervent, worshiping church. And he said, I felt something I had never felt in my life. And he said, I felt God. I had read about God. I had even talked about God in my poetry classes, but I'd never experienced God. There is an intimacy that you and I can have with Jesus that is more real than the building that we sit in today. God is present. He's here, and he loves you this morning. Let's give him a hand of praise for that, would you? Hallelujah. So if you would, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And I want you to make a choice this morning to choose intimacy with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Let us be thankful then because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful and worship God in a way if you've got your outline later, just sit down and circle that in a way that will please him with reverence and all. Now, there is a way to worship the Lord that will please him, but what's important is the attitude that we reverence him and we be in all. Don't make God so small in your life. God is bigger than any mountain. God is bigger than any problem. God will pull you through if you can stand the pulling. Amen? The second verse I want you to look at is from Romans 12, 1. Because of God's great mercy to us, what's he speaking of? Speaking of what Christ did for us at Calvary, what we just celebrated as we took communion together. Because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to his service. Dedicated to his service. 
pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer him. Father, we just speak the name of Jesus. Jesus over every authority. Jesus over every power. Jesus over every sickness and disease. Jesus over every problem and challenge. And Lord, like the poet Christian Wiseman, there are those that find themselves stumbling onto this site and watching online or here today. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, they will encounter you and the amazing grace and opportunity for a new life that you give us in the forgiveness of our sins through Christ our Lord, I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I've recently been praying and thinking a lot about a thought that has seized my mind. It's not a day that goes by that I'm not praying for someone somewhere that's not dying. This morning, my brother-in-law lays on life support and a ventilator, and we were roommates in college. My wife and my sister were roommates in college. He's been one of my closest friends. That fifth level of intimacy we've shared for many, many, many years, decades now. I listened as his son wept and <clears throat> was talking to me this week and saying, Uncle Dennis, it just poured his heart out. And I've been seized by this thought since the funeral I did last week. <clears throat> what if I only had one more sermon left to preach? What if I had only one more message to preach? What would I say to you, my church family? What would that message be that I want my kids to hopefully hang on to if I knew that that was going to be my last message? I've really been working with that. This message is not it, but this message would be a part of whatever that message is. Matter of fact, one of the kids asked me, he says, Dad, what do you want done at your funeral? So I rattled off a few things, and I says, but we're also going to take a big missions offering at my funeral, and I want you to put the word out, you are not welcome if you're not going to give to foreign missions to help us reach lost people in the world, because it matters that much to me. And you say, why does it matter? It's because of Jesus. It's always been because of Jesus. It's always been because of what you and I have known, most of us have known from our childhood that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's no greater truth, no greater theological truth than that. In our 20s, when Becky and I were youth pastors at a church, I learned holding kids' attentions can be a challenge. Holding junior high's attentions, that's the greatest challenge in the world. This is nowhere near as difficult as it is holding a junior high student's attention. Those kids are brutal. They eat their own stinking dead. I mean, they are that brutal. So you really have to know how to be able to communicate with them and connect with them. One of the things that I knew I had to do as a youth pastor talking to junior higher students, it wasn't that way with high school students. It wasn't that, that way with university students. It wasn't that way in children's church, but with junior hires, it, it had to, there had to be some sort of entertainment factor there. And I, I hope that doesn't insult anybody, but there had to be some way to make those kids. There had to be a bit of a comic 
Well, I'm a natural introvert, so I found myself reading. I bought every book from Cracker Barrel that they had on comedy, just looking for good jokes. Because I needed some way to keep those kids engaged with me and to crack up with them. And, and what I've discovered over the years is that worship is not entertaining. Worship is not even necessarily something that, that feeds me or feeds you. Worship is that that we give to God because we love Him. But I have found myself being entertained. I have found myself often being fed while I worship the Lord. I have found something that somebody has said, whether it's been Pastor Corey or Pastor Mark or guest speaker, to be highly amusing. And though I take real notes that I can go back and look at and use in my devotions later, I always remember the funny stories they tell. I always remember the funny things. I will never forget Dwayne Jones preaching in this pulpit. And he was almost preaching one hour of preaching time. And I was sitting next to Becky right over here, and I said, I don't know what in the world has got into him. He's, I've never heard him preach this long. And it wasn't that it was bad, but I could look around, and people were shifting because it gets uncomfortable in our seats. They were moving. And suddenly, Dwayne was aware. He'd preached a long time. He says, I am so sorry. I put my wife's false teeth in my mouth instead of my own. That's why I preached so long this morning. I thought Jean was going to kill him. <laughs> I thought she was going to kill him. You see, you remember those things. It's worship. You can be entertained while you worship, but we pay attention with fear and reverence to the preaching of God's Word. I have good memories about worship. You see, worship is all about giving to God what He's worthy of. Worship is all about giving to God what He's worthy of, and the way I worship God is responding to His love, giving Him what He's worthy of by offering Him my life. That's what God wants from me, every bit of me. He wants a total response to my life. That's the reason that Paul called it a living sacrifice. And so I respond to God by saying, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Not just here at Woodland, but in everything I do. You see, all of worship, all of worship is about responding to the heart of God. Look at me for just a moment. I don't want you to miss that. I, I want you to fill that in, but... All of worship is about responding to the heart of God. When a child runs up and hugs you, you respond to that child. When your, your wife or your husband runs up and hugs you or smiles at you, you respond to that. When you know Jesus, when you see God in the face of Jesus, you can't help but respond to his love. So the, the heart of worship, and we sing that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. The heart of worship is really the worship of my heart. If I'm not worshiping from my heart, then I'm not worshiping it at all. It's in my heart where I know that I've experienced the true love of God. It's where in my heart where I know I've experienced the forgiveness of God. It's where in my heart because as I respond to God's love, I want to give him back my life. Sometimes when I'm talking to people or counseling with people, I discover as a pastor that what they have experienced much more than intimacy with God is worship has become for them trying to please God by the things they do rather than loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That if they're good enough, that God will be good to them. You should tithe, but I don't ever want you to tithe because you're trying to earn something from God. 
You should pray, but I never want you to pray because you're trying to earn something from God. We just simply love him because he first loved us. Amen? So worship quickly is directing my attention to God. Worship really is putting all of my attention upon the Lord. Uh, Let me illustrate it like this. As I preach this morning, I am totally dependent. You expect me to say the Holy Spirit, and I am. You expect me to say the Word of God, I am. But as I preach this morning, I'm also totally dependent that you will give me your attention. I can't demand your attention. I can't command your attention. But I'm asking you to give attention, to pay heed to the Word of the Lord. Worship is paying attention to God. Worship is putting your life, focusing your life upon God. And you say, Pastor, and if you're listening online... There's a dynamic that maybe you don't get when you're here at church, so let me be sure you understand this, because when you worship the Lord, you're giving God attention, and the reason God wants your attention is because God is always paying attention to you. The reason God wants your life focused upon Him is because God is focused upon you. You remember my conversation with a theologian last week who told me it was wrong to say that if you were the only one that Christ would have come and died for your sins. And my response to him after a few moments of thought was, well, what about the Samaritan woman? And his honest and sincere and humble reply was, I hadn't thought about that. Jesus went out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman, to encounter her. God went out of his way to meet you and I through Christ at Calvary. Look at Psalms 139 and verse 1, where the psalmist writes these words, you have looked deep into my heart. Imagine that. Look here for just a second. God looks deep into your heart, your affections, your emotions, your will, your hurts, your pain, your desires, your needs. All five levels of that intimacy is there. And he is not startled. He's not scared. He loves you. He looks deep into your heart, and he knows all about you. David goes on to say, you know when I'm resting, you know when I'm working, and from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Isn't that good news? I mean, I want God to notice everything I do. I want God to notice everywhere I go. And you say, why? Because if I mess up, he lifts me up. If I break it up, he fixes it up. And that's why I want God there. And God has promised to always be there. God never, ever, ever takes his attention off you. You see, everything we do here at Woodland, whether we're singing or whether we're worshiping in the service, when we pray, when we, when we give, when we, we greet one another, whether you shake hands, hug necks, high five, it's all done in the name of Jesus Because we desire to encourage one another in the Lord. Baby dedications, weddings, funerals, they're all done for the Lord. God is always there. And occasionally I remind my lost friends or I remind people who speak cavalierly or speak sometimes blasphemously about God. I say, can I just offer something here just in the spirit of friendship. This is level one, maybe level two intimacy. I said, you can never talk about God behind his back. You may talk about me behind my back, but you may gossip about somebody else behind their back. 
But you never talk about God behind his back because God is always there listening, watching, and waiting. And that shouldn't frighten you if you love God. But if you're somehow or another treating the God of the universe who created everything cavalierly or blasphemously, there will be a day when you'll stand before God. Have you ever had that occasion when you have said something about someone and you wish you hadn't have said it, you hope they never hear about it, and then they come to you and they say, did you really say so and so about me? Doesn't that just crush you inside? You just, your words come back. Do you ever send an email and you find yourself reaching at the screen, can I get it back, can I get it back? It must be so popular because right now, Google and Apple and everybody, they give you just a few minutes or a few seconds to decide, did I really want to send that email and get it back? But you never talk about God behind his back. And I will be honest, to be fully focused on God, it's not easy for me to do. It's not easy for you to do. To be fully focused on God all the time is a challenging thing. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. You see, our culture is really not any different than the culture that Paul was writing to in Rome. Why is it so difficult to focus on God? It's because we live in a self-obsessed culture. And the self-obsession of our culture is so much so that we even want to deny our God-given identities, our God-given genders, and say, we can change our genders, we can change our identities, we can be anything, whatever we want to be. I read an interview with a billionaire this week, and he says, the day is coming when we will have eternal life, and we don't need God to do it. We will just keep replacing body parts over and over, and we will have the ultimate myth fulfilled. We will have eternal life for those who can afford it. And I thought to myself, how does someone so rich get so dumb? Do you ever feel that way? The reason that we, it's difficult to focus because this culture is so self-obsessed. And I'm not criticizing the culture. I do offer that as a criticism. You see, anyone, the Bible goes on to say, anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God. Also, anyone completely absorbed in self ignores their wife or their husband, their children, their church, their community. And ends up thinking more about self than God. And that person ignores who God is and what he is doing. So, Pastor, how do I do it? Well, you're going to expect this so quickly. You need to establish a daily prayer time. A time every single day. And I'm not saying how long it should be. Just have a time every day where you stop. And if you can, if you're physically able, kneel in the presence of the Lord. Get down on your knees. Listen, I've got two bad knees from decades of running I kneel down, and I use the arms of that chair to get back up. Is there anybody in that same camp with me? You know what I'm talking about. You say, Pastor, why do you still do that? Because it's good for me. It reminds me of who God is and who I am to kneel in his holy presence and to lift my hands up. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God. And you will begin to sense his grace. 
How many of you sense the grace of the Lord Jesus here this morning? Give him a hand of praise if you do. I sense his presence. One of my favorite things to do, and I've gotten a few weird looks, but go down to Detroit and stand in front of that globe and that mythical creature holding up the globe where he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, and I'll just stand there for a moment and I'll just pray. You know, I don't get weird or anything. I just pray and I've had people ask me, go, are you lost? I go, oh, no. Oh, I'm just talking to God who gave us these words right here. They go, oh, and then they just keep walking. <laughs> it's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the topic of many conversations. I've met a weirdo today. <laughs> but surely the Spirit of the Lord is here. And secondly, be in constant conversation with God. I love the texting app. Instant messaging, I think, is what you call it. I, I, I love that. It has saved me so many phone calls when you can just do an instant message. And I have two times a day when all of my messages come up. So if I don't respond to yours, I have a morning time and an afternoon time when my messages all come up. And, and then I respond to them. And, and, but during the day, I've learned to be like that with God, just constantly sending up these little, I call them IMs, instant messages, instant prayers, right to the Lord to talk about what's going on. Why? Because Psalms 105 verse 4 says, go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. Let's read that together. Go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. One more time. Go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. Tommy Griffin was a friend of mine who's in heaven lived in a two-bedroom farmhouse. He was crippled, and yet he ran a farm. He ran a business. He would hobble everywhere he went, was very successful at it. And one day, Tommy and Elvina, his wife, and their daughter, Cindy, and their son, I can't remember his name right now, but we were all having dinner together. This family was so marvelously blessed. They loved the Lord so much. You sense God's presence in their home. They weren't wealthy in the things of this world, and I asked Tommy one time, after having been his pastor for about five years, I said, you know, Tommy, you and Elvina always invite us to lunch. You always invite us to dinner, but I've never known a time where you've asked us for help on anything. And he says, Pastor, I'm not too good to ask for help. He says, I've just learned that if I go to God for help, God will help me. Somebody say amen this morning. And so often we go other places than going to God for help. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, this is why I do the instant message prayers. You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed upon you. You see, worship demonstrates my affection for God. I sing that song all the time, yes, Jesus loves me. But I say it all day long. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I encourage you just to say, I love you, Jesus. And maybe you're here or maybe you're online. And saying I love you is difficult. One of the men in our church recently came to me and he said, Pastor, he says, I never heard those words growing up. I love you. He said, my dad never told me he loved me. He said, it's hard for me to say that because I just... Don't know how to do that. I said, do you tell your wife? And he goes, rarely. Maybe it's been hard for you, but here's what you need to know. The more you meditate upon God's love for you and his attention is focused upon you, that he cares about you, he will melt your heart and give you the freedom to be open and say, I love you. And by the way, that's not all men that find it hard. Sometimes it's women that find, find it hard to say. Look at 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. 
Let's read that together. We love him because he first loved us. God's not after your money. God's not after your possessions. God's not after taking anything from you. God wants to take something from you. He wants to take your sins away, give you a brand new life. God wants to give you a fresh start in life. The only thing God wants from you is your heart. He wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Somebody say amen this morning. That's intimacy with God. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, the reason I made the comment I did about the backgrounds that we're from, we're a really wonderful congregation, but we know that God doesn't want ritual. We know that God is not into rules and regulations. He's into grace. We know that God wants relationships We know that the church needs to be a place where people experience and feel the love of God, where you can see and sense His love. But we also know the greatest way to show that you love God is to offer Him your complete life, to give Him everything. I wear this ring on my hand because it means I'm totally surrendered to Becky. It means I'm totally dedicated, completely submitted to her. And it means I'll be faithful and loyal to her in my mind and in my body at all times. That's what baptism was all about. That's what communion is all about. That's what singing these songs was all about. That's what the embrace and the hug that we shared with one another as we we kind of passed the peace of Christ between us this morning. We're saying as a body of people, we are totally surrendered to Jesus Christ because he loved us first this morning. That's why I find comfort in this church because I'm with like-minded people who say, Jesus is the most important person in my life. He's changed my life. He's given me a fresh start. Can you say amen to that? That's why there's comfort in the church. You see, William Shakespeare, I love these words. He said, they do not love who do not show their love. So every day we look for a way to love one another and to love God. And then finally this morning, worship is about deploying my abilities for God. And again, coming back to last week's message, I just touched on this for just a moment. That we want to help people discover their gifts, their talents, their abilities. We want to help people discover what it is that they're good at in life, what God has blessed them to do. Because love is more than words. I don't know what your love language is. Mine is number one love language is touch. I, so yours may be, you know, words. Yours may be gifts. You know, it just there's those. If you've never read that book, I recommend it again. But love is more than just saying I love you. I know what my wife's love language is. One of the kids in children's church just recently asked Becky. Just recently, your imp brought up a very bad memory in our family, and in my marriage. And when I tell the story, you're going to know who your imp is. They asked Becky in Timber Ridge, Sister Becky, what's the worst gift pastor ever gave you in your life? That question was spawned in hell. (laughs) And when she told them what I gave her for Christmas one year, I thought it was a great idea. Practical, great, pots and pans. 
The kids just all booed me. Oh, that's awful. That's terrible. I mean, your kids are better at showing love than I am at better at showing love. But I learned never give Becky anything practical for Christmas ever, ever again. Those of you that agree with Becky, can I see your hand this morning? Oh, those of you that say, oh, I'd love pots and pans, could I see your hands? Guys, you can pay me for this later. <laughs> you see, it's, it's understanding not what I think Becky should have or what I think is best. It's an action of saying, Becky, what is it you want? What is it you need? One of the ways I worship God is by being focused upon what God says. Remember we read it, in a way. Let's worship him in a way. There is a way to worship the Lord. Some of you are hugging. Get back. Pay back attention to me right now. Give me your attention. I can't demand it. But in a way that pleases him with reverence and with all. When I bring Becky the kind of gifts that please her, that's showing my reverence and my awe of this wonderful woman that God has given me to love. When I worship God in the way the scriptures call me to in spirit and truth, that I'm worshiping God in the way that he calls me to. Colossians 3.23, work willingly in whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Work willingly in whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Don't raise your hand, but do any of you have a really challenging boss? Do you have a challenging customer clientele? Do, you, do any of you, you go to work and that 45-minute drive, you're just, you're, dread, you're dreading it. You're already thinking about it. I'm bringing it up and you're going, I'm, dread, I'm going to change your life right now or the Lord will change your life. If you will change that you're working for the Lord and that 45-minute drive, that 45-minute coming home from work, putting on some praise music in your car, singing to the Lord, making music to Him in your heart, focusing upon Him and saying, God, my level three or level four, my personal needs and opinions, my feelings, God, my boss is a jerk. My boss is a big, fat jerk. He knows you think that anyway, so you can tell him that. Don't tell your boss that, but you can tell God that. And say, Lord, I am going to work for you today. Help me to serve you with joy and gladness the way the Christians did, even though they were being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. Help me to sing. Help me to make music the way Paul and Silas did when they were in Folks, if you will put your attention, God's attention is focused upon you. He will change how you work, your work day, your boss. If you really understand this, your worship doesn't stop with your time of prayer. Your worship is all day long. So if you don't get anything else that I say this morning, when you leave this place, worship is not just what you do at this church. Worship is what you do every single day of your life, reminding yourself that God is focused upon you, and you focus your attention upon the Lord, and you do it for the glory and the honor of God. Let's stand together, and let me read you this last verse of Scripture. You go to the very last verse in the message this morning for those of you in the media room. Revelation 4.11, you were worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. 
Would you read that with me? You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you, what you created them, what you please. Look at me. Why does that matter? Because there's only one God that's worthy to be worshipped. His name is not Mammon. His name is not Allah. His name is not Buddha. His name is not science. But his name is our Father. His name is Jesus. And if you will speak the name of Jesus in everything you do this week, you will take all four of these messages of worship and your life will suddenly manifest and exhibit the power and the grace that God wants to flow through you. You will bring heaven into hell. You will bring heaven into the hospital. You will bring heaven into your home. You will bring heaven wherever you go because you and God are focused upon one another. Can you say amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless this congregation this morning. I pray, Lord, our eyes will be constantly and continually open and set upon you. Lord, when we come back to worship you together for our Tuesday evening Thanksgiving service, I pray that, Lord, we'll come with heart full of joy and thanksgiving. And now in the name of Jesus, would you bless your people, God, with the ongoing conversation they can have with one who knows them, their deepest thoughts, and may they be free to share the goodness and the love and the grace of heaven with everyone they meet. And Father, if there's anyone here or listening online right now that's never committed their life to Jesus, I pray that at this very moment they will pray this prayer of forgiveness with me. And if that's you, would you just pray with me? Say, Father in heaven, thank you for keeping your eye upon me. And like the poet who stumbled into church, God, I stumbled into this place this morning. I stumbled here online. And I sense and I know that you love me and you forgive me of all my sins. So I offer my life to you as a living sacrifice with thanksgiving for having forgiven and saved me. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you prayed that this morning, if you prayed that here, if you prayed it here, stop by the connection desk. If you prayed that this morning, there'll be some information online. I'd love to send you something tomorrow. God bless you. The Lord be with you. I'll see you Tuesday night here for Thanksgiving service. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.